You're listening to Screenwriters Need to Hear This with Michael Jamin. Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome back. It's Michael Jamin. I'm here with Phil Hudson, and we are going to answer some questions. So as you, as you may or may not know, we host uh, a webinar, a free webinar every three weeks usually, and I try to answer a different topic. And the last topic we did was called How to Get Past Industry Gatekeepers. And we did an exclusive uh, uh, VIP room afterwards where people could ask questions. These are This is where the questions are coming from, Phil, right? No, these are actually the ones from the webinar. We didn't oh, these are from to. the webinar. Okay. Yeah, because I'm, we shifted things up. Because, and for people who don't know, you were spending a lot of time. We were staying on for like an hour doing Q&A with everybody. And so we just decided to give everyone an opportunity to hop in and get FaceTime with you. It's limited seats. Right. A lot of VIP Q&A. And this is for the people who, who asked questions during the webinar who didn't get their questions answered. Right. That's now I'm confused. So, okay. Yes. Yeah, so to be clear, the webinar is free, but we also did a little bonus thing afterwards that people can buy in so I can answer more questions. So these are questions I didn't get it. We didn't have time to answer. Yeah. And Phil's going to cue me. What is it? Yeah, we're going to, no, I was going to say, we're going to dive in. And I, and I think it's just two things. If you want to have a question answered by Michael, there's two ways to get that done. And you're very, very open with your time. One is to join the webinar. Um, we typically have one, sometimes two a month, depending on the month. And it's a different topic typically every time, but um, we have a couple that are people really like, so we might be focusing on those. But if you can't get your question answered there, the VIP is an opportunity for them to hop in with you and really just spend that time. It's one-on-one -on -one time, you turn your camera on, you ask Michael Well, it's not one-on-one, -on -one. it's a small group of people. So it's one-on-one -on -one one -on -one. in the sense that you sit there and you get to talk to Michael. You don't have to, it's yeah. not, uh, yeah, thank you for clarifying. Yeah. So, so yeah, let's dive in. And, and like we've done in previous episodes, I've broken these into subjects. So there are a couple of key kind of categories. Uh, this is heavily weighted towards breaking into Hollywood because that was the topic. But right. I think the craft questions are always good. So starting there, Norville Scoobs. If a character changes for the better over the course of a story, is their initial likability something to focus on? Well, you know, likability is a, is a complicated thing like sometimes people you'll get a note from the studio saying the characters these characters need to be likable and that's not the same thing as the audience needs to like the characters which is a different so okay so tony soprano is not a likable person you don't want to spend 10 minutes with the guy because he might kill you okay but the audience likes to watch him because he's interesting but often you'll get a note from the studio saying these characters you know they're too unlikable I don't have an answer to that. You know, I, it depends if you're doing a drama or a comedy, but generally the, generally the note you're going to get is these need to be likable characters, especially if you're doing a comedy because we're spending time with them. We're spending a lot of time with them. So even in Cheers, I'm sure one of the notes was Carla's too unlikable. So they probably softened her up. So she wasn't, uh, you know, uh, you know, cause you're spending time with them. This is your family, I guess. Yeah. I don't know if that answers the question. It's the best well, I can do. I think the question comes from Save the Cat, which you know you've admittedly never read and you yeah. never read, but it, yeah. it definitely talks about how your character should do something to make us like them in the yeah. first three to five pages because we'll want to root for them and it's a redeeming factor. And there's plenty of evidence as to why that's not necessarily. Yeah, I don't subscribe to that. I don't subscribe to that. So, yeah. Is it as good but as I, it gets, you recommended I read that for a script I was writing one point. Is that it? Where Jack, is that now Jack Nicholson? Yeah, I mean, I love that, but I don't remember but telling you. he throws the dog down the garbage chute. Oh, yeah. It was the first time we see him where he throws a dog down a garbage chute. It's the opposite of Save the Cat. Yeah. And it's yeah, a classic. Exactly. And it's an incredible film. So. <laughs> yeah. 
and that's a film, right? So it's not a sitcom. So, you know, uh, I, I don't, again, I don't subscribe to this thing. The character has to do something likable. What, what is that? I mean, I think we, they have to do something interesting like, and engaging and throwing a dog on a, a shoot is kind of interesting for sure. So, yeah. yeah. What kind of person would do that? Right. It raises yeah. questions. Jackie Smite. What if you have a script for a very specific franchise? Is it simply foolish if you are an inexperienced or is it a bad idea in general? Bad idea in general, and it's foolish. You got them both right. You you can't write for a franchise. You don't own the IP. It's not yours. Let it go. I don't don't write a Marvel movie. Don't write uh, a Disney movie with the princesses. It's not yours. So let it go. Don't don't write anything with a franchise. This is a very common one. I mean, yeah. most people have an idea for a story, and it's based off of existing IP. I remember talking to a friend in you know 2008, a couple of months after I really started studying screenwriting. She's like, oh, I have this anime franchise I want to write, uh, I want to adapt for TV. And I was like, okay, um, yeah. I don't think you can do that. And yeah, yeah. reach out to the, if you get the rights from them, then do it, but you don't have the rights, so don't do it. And that is a process. And we'll, we'll probably circle back on that because there's a question about attorneys, which we'll get to in a minute. Oh, okay. Cliff Johnson II, I write a drama features, I write drama features to half hour comedy and also differing genres. Is it limiting to spread myself thin or should I keep building a diverse portfolio? You don't need a diverse portfolio. I'd, I'd say specialize in whatever it is you enjoy the most. Focus on that. Get really good at it. And then market yourself as the best damn thriller writer there is or the best, you know, broad comedy writer there is. You're, no one's, you don't need a broad portfolio. You need to have a specific portfolio that really showcases your excellence in this one area. Yeah. You've given advice as well. Uh, in the past that let's say you're a sitcom writer will get really good at writing half hour you know single camera sitcoms mm -hmm. then do multi then do animated then yeah. so you stay in that genre but you can build a portfolio within that genre to show right. your your base but yeah, it's good. different than writing violent westerns taylor sheridan style Yes, right. So I'm glad you pointed it out. So if you want to be a comedy writer, you might want a broad, you know, yes, a broad multi-camera you should have. You should have a, a grounded single camera comedy, but it's all comedy. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Andrew James jokes. Do you see everything from a certain comedic viewpoint when thinking of content or writing a script? A certain comedic viewpoint? You know, I don't really not sure what that means. Uh, you know, I, there's things that are, strike me as funny. I don't really, I'm not sure if I have a... I think for you know, me, I, I think uh, I understand this question, but I don't want to interrupt you if you have something. No, what do you think? I think what's being asked is when you, you know, I, I was told once that I have a particular view of the world and it mm -hmm. often is a comical view of the world. Like I look at the ridiculousness of bureaucracy or rules yeah. and rather than get upset, I just make fun of them or I find ways to poke holes at them. To me, it's really that question. Do you have that point of view to say like, you know, this is my... Mike Judge has, I would say, has a really clear point of view in the way he does his things. Do you look at things through a certain lens? Uh, I don't know if I do. I mean, I'm sure I have a voice. I'm, you know, I'm always interested. I guess I'm, how do I find, I, just, I like finding things that are, thinking of things that are funny, but I'm not sure if I have a specific uh, tack that I take. I, I'm sorry, I can't help them more. Um, I got to think cool about enough. that more. Do I have a point of view? I, I, I tend to think silly and stupid. And I, but I'm, I think I'm smart. I mean, I went to you know college and everything, but I don't, I don't think I'm dumb, but I, I think my, my voice is sometimes of a dumb person. When I think of your funny. voice, I think of a lot of the things you share about the way you kid with your daughters. 
the way I kid with my daughters. Yeah, just like uh, you, you've done a couple social media posts where you're like, uh-huh. it's like dad jokes, but at a different level. It's an elevated dad joke almost. Well, I'm their dad. <laughs> I know, but it's like a dad joke's very punny, and then mm-hmm. yours is like one step further. And and you've done a several several of these quick bites on social media that yeah. are related to your conversations with your daughters. To me, that's Michael Jam and comedy. Oh yeah, I enjoy. I love having fun with my kids. They're so funny. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And then Phyllis Hill. Now, Phyllis was pretty active, so we got a bunch of questions from her, but they were very good. Uh, I sorted uh-huh. through a bunch of them. And this is a little bit tied to something I know we've talked about before, and I just thought it was good to put on the podcast. Has streaming plat have streaming platforms changed story structure? The same story structure that might have been used back during the day of network TVs, TV shows. So not great question. Not in a not in a hugely significant way. The only, like the biggest thing is probably, well, there's no commercial breaks, but so what? We still break the story still the same. The story, you know, okay, we, we just don't go to commercial, but when we break it on the whiteboard, same thing. We don't, doesn't matter. The only difference is streamers sometimes want you to have uh, serialized uh, stories. So the end, they want you to end on like a pregnant moment where, or so it's continued. So the next story picks up where the last one ended. That's sometimes what they want so that you binge, but that's kind of easy. Often you can, if you watch, if you go back and watch um, Weeds, the show Weeds, they did that really well. See, they tell a full story and then at the end, the story's over, they just do a, a weird little thing at the end of that story and then that story would be the beginning, that beat would be the beginning of the next story. So it's super easy. In, in terms of breaking it, it, it actually makes it kind of easy. It's not a, it doesn't make um it's the same kind of storytelling. You're just adding one more beat at the end. Yeah, that's awesome. I think that's a very concise answer, Michael. I get paid uh, by the word. <laughs> like, yeah, like, I love that. Um, I was going to say Charles Dumas, like Alexander Dumas. I don't know who Charlie Dumas is, but he's just probably Alexander Dumas' cousin, twice mm-hmm. divorced. Um, some questions about your course, which come up because during the webinar, you're often, you know, one of the things, people have a chance to win your course. You get, yeah. Lifetime access to the course. Um, one person wins every time. Um, but also, um, you give a discount to the course. When yeah, you- if you're listening to this, come to these free webinars that I did. I, we give a good discount to anyone who attends. And that opens registration uh, for that block yeah. of, of enrollment. Uh, Leonard H. wanted to know, will the course do anything for someone working on documentaries? Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I mean... Personally, I think yes, but I'm not a documentary filmmaker, but I have watched documentary films where I thought this would have been better if they went through my course. <laughs> you know, like I, they would have dove into the more the emotional moments that I feel. But, uh, you know, having never made a documentary, what the hell do I know? But I, I have watched documentaries where I thought, you know, this was good, but it wasn't great. It didn't really move me emotionally where I, or I should. Like, I think that's when documentaries really work is when like yeah. or anything works when you when you finish watching it and you're still thinking about it you're still feeling it the next day so i uh, i don't i don't want to promise but i i would i would think i would think it would help it, but you know i have taken a documentary film class as part of my film school stuff it's honestly one of my the better classes i took it was uh, taught by a guy named hank who was a sundance fellow in the documentary labs yeah he'd done multiple documentaries um that's like literally he teaches and then he and his wife shoot documentaries and, and manage those tons of stuff in South by Southwest, the film fest, Sundance film festival, all that stuff. 
And absolutely, story structure is a very vital part of that. And you get into the you know cinema verite and like how you're doing your documentary and the influence of structure and story. But the story structure had to be there, or yeah. no one wants to watch what you're doing. Like right. No cares. So you have to. The hard part is you can't invent that. You have to hopefully capture that and then know. Oh, I captured this moment. This would be a good first act break. But they're scripted. They're, they're scripted. You need to understand what things you need to get, what beats you want to get as you tell the story. And then right. it evolves out of that. You you often are surprised by what you get. But then there's the paper edit you do where you go into editing where you have transcripts mm-hmm. of all the footage and you're looking for things. And, you know, this is – it was a little bit uncomfortable for me then and still is now – he even encouraged that it's your job to tell the best version of that story as you can. And there is no such thing as cinema verite, um, mm. truth of the ca- truth of the camera, truth of the lens. You, you can't because the moment you're there observing it, it changes. And yeah. that's a law of physics. You observe right. an atom, it, it behaves different. Right. And so he says at the end of the day, let's say that you film something out of order and there's a clip that you shot two months from now. Yeah. But it helps tell the story that you need to tell. Yeah. He had no problem rearranging things or cutting people out of order to get the story that he needed at the end of it. So because your point is the story, this, our course would help. That's your point. Absolutely. Yeah, okay. I absolutely would help. No. All right. There you go. There you go. Uh, a couple questions from Phyllis. Please compare your class to screenwriting classes like the ones offered on Masterclass. Uh, well, again, I haven't gone through all the ones in Masterclass. I've watched a few videos uh, of some of the speakers um, I don't know. I mean, I, I didn't watch all of it. I don't know. I, I, I really can't say having not watched all of it. I, I, I think mine is, I would suspect mine is a little more hands-on in the sense that I'm teaching you literally how we break a story in the room. I don't fill you with a lot of, uh, terms that we don't use, but Phil, have you, have you gone through masterclass? Yeah, I have, all right, so you, I have, maybe I you'll know better active, than I do. Active subscriber to masterclass for a long time. Uh, and most of them I can't get through on Masterclass, including most, uh-huh. And look, I, I think Aaron Sorkin's one of the most prolific author writers of our time, and I love everything he puts out. But yeah, he's Shakespeare. Could, he's the Shakespeare of our time. Couldn't couldn't get through it. Couldn't get through his course. Couldn't get through it. No, because it's like there's a lot of, and I can t- actually I can tell you this because in my agency we have a client who is getting their own Masterclass right now, so I'm, I've got a little view through the window of what that platform is, and I'm not saying all platforms are like this, and I don't want to be saying anything disparaging against Masterclass because I really enjoy Masterclass, mm-hmm. but the amount of content they shoot versus what you get, it's like 20% of what that person did, and they're not editing it, right? So yeah. Masterclasses does this stuff with Aaron Sorkin. And then what you get on the back end of that, or you know Shonda Rhimes or whoever, like you get to the end of that, and it's um, it's like twenty percent of what they talked about, and it's good. It's but it's not it's not the meat. It's not the meat of what you want. I've watched some, not theirs, but I felt, and I love Masterclass too. I felt it was uh, you got a taste of everything. You get a, you can really mm-hmm. learn a lot about cars and cooking, and it's a really great. But I felt like, uh, from what I watched, it didn't go deep enough because that's not what it is. It's it's a it's a sampling. Yeah. So yeah, and it's, I thought it was interesting, but not helpful for some of the ones I, I saw. Interesting, but not helpful. Yeah, the most practical one was Aaron Franklin's barbecue cooking class, and I I put that one to good use mm. in my smoker because it is very much here's how you do it, here's how you temp things, here's how you wrap meat, here's, and it, it's just actionable. So my if I ate is, meat, I'd come over and make you make me a nice smoked dinner but I you'd don't be very you'd be very happy 
<laughs> I'd probably start sweating. I'll make you some yeah, meat sweats. Yeah. You know, I'll make you some nice broccolini. How about that? Yeah, that'd be nice. <laughs> All right. And then just another question from Phyllis. And, and I think this is more broad about you and what you're doing for people online uh, in the webinars with the course, everything. What is your motivation to offer this assistance other than money? Oh, uh, well, you know, for, you know, when I broke into the business, this is back in the nineties, this was before the internet and I was living in New York. I knew nothing about the industry. I knew nothing. I knew new, I knew no one. How would I know anything? So I just got in my car and I drove to LA thinking, well, get close. Right. But now because the internet, social media, you can talk to people like me and get so much information for free and like what a gift. And so I know it's people say it's impossible to break into Hollywood. Yeah, I understand. Yes, it's hard, but it's even harder if you don't even know where to begin, you know, if yeah. you don't have these resources. And so but now uh, I started building my social media profile about a little over two years ago as a way of uh, building my platform so that I could I have a book that's coming out so that I could platform my agent says platform drives acquisition. I need a following to sell my book, to perform and do all these things that I wanted to do. And so the way to build this platform was by just talking about what I know and giving 90% of it away for free. The other 10% is in this course that we have. And, and that's it. I got a call from Michael and I was doing runs for Tacoma FD, like season two or something. And yeah. you called me and you're like, hey man, can you come over? I want to run some stuff by you. And, and I... I know you, many people know this, but some people don't. I know you through working at a digital marketing agency where I assisted your wife's e-commerce website and uh, just worked for you, worked for her for a couple of years doing, you know, whatever I could to take care of her because she'd been ripped off by the sales guy who sold her some stuff that we couldn't do. <laughs> yeah, and I had no pretty... idea who you were or what you guys right. did. And then like right. one day you were going to join and it kind of put it together. And you were, you guys were just very kind and have always been kind to share your knowledge with me. But Well, you it started just, it. You started it by being kind first. Let's be clear. Wow. It was the right thing to do, right? It's a principal thing, which mm -hmm. is very important. And at the end of the day, like you called me over because I have that experience, that skill set. And we just had a, a sit down in your in your garage and I broke your Adirondack chair. And then you told me that see, your it was already broken. broke it. It was already broken. Big, I was sweating that once. I had to buy you a director's chair to replace <laughs> it. Um, but anyway, we talked about this. Like, what do you need to do? And I was like, Finally, because I've been begging you for years to do this course and to put your stuff out there. Yeah. Just because the private email lessons and the conversations we had were so incredibly valuable to me. And yeah. I was in film school at the time and getting more value out of uh, an email you'd send me over a weekend than I was getting in a week of lectures at that school. Yeah. Yeah. This is how you do what you need to do to sell your book. And here's how you give. And, and the mantra of any good digital marketing platform is give, 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 right? Just give, yep. give, give. And there's an ask. There's always a right for an ask in there as well because you are giving. And we talked about the course, and you were very clear. Like I don't want to. I don't want to. You feel sleazy selling things. Like yeah. you don't want to do that. You're, you're not. You're a writer. You're not a guy who does this. You're not pretending to be, you know, the answer to all things. And I said, but people will value what you have, and they have to pay for it to value it. So I'm the one who pushed it. I'm going to push the price, mm -hmm. and you've reduced the price over and over again because. You just want to make sure that it's you know, getting as many people as it can. You do, you know, a lot of people don't know this. You offer basically free financing through yourself. Yeah. You, people can sign up for the course on a three-month plan, a six-month plan, or pay in full, and you don't bill them any interest. And there are plenty of ways for us to get interest off of people yeah. or get people to pay interest. Um, and that's just, you know, from my perspective, it's 100% honestly, how can I serve as many people as possible 
so that I can get this passion project of my, my book speaking yeah. as you to as many people as I can. Yeah. There you go. You did, you did answer it well, Phil. I think you said it better than I did. I'm growing uh, long winded in my, as I wax old. <laughs> wax old. Yeah. All right, cool. Now to the meat of the, the episode for the webinar was about breaking in. Yeah. Um, and so there's some really good stuff here. And so we don't, I know we'll, we'll be quick on some of this, but if you want this full webinar broadcast is uh, available for purchase as well on your website, it's like 29 bucks and it's lifetime access. And they can watch the whole episode of this webinar. Um, yeah, go get it. Yeah. Yeah. But Valerie Taylor. So once the script is done, what does it mean to build the mountain? What is the work left to do? And that's an episode reference to a podcast episode we did recently that a lot of people really liked, which is build your mountain. You know, there are people doing this. I didn't come up with this idea. There are people on social media, you know, content creators who are just putting their work out there. And because it's really good, they're building a following. And I don't know if that was their intention in the beginning, but that's what they've done. And so, and I, one I always mention is Sarah Cooper. I wish I, I wish I, to do my podcast because uh, she's so Have you reached interesting. Out? I, I think I, I, ta I tagged her on something, but you know she's busy. She's busy, I'll but I, I'm a huge, I'm a huge fan of her. So she's this, this woman, young actress who, as far as I can tell, she couldn't get arrested. You know, in New York City, she just started during the pandemic posting kind of funny uh, lip syncs of, of Donald Trump, but she wasn't just lip syncing; she was plussing it. She was adding her own comedy to it and her own reactions. And it was really like, she was great. And she's just doing this. And she wants to be an actor and a writer, but she's doing this. And she was so great at it. She built a giant following. And because this following people discovered her, and because of that, she gets, I think she got a Netflix special. She got a pilot out of it. And where the pilot, she can write her own stuff. Now, the that I think some of the projects never went to air, but she sold it. She made a name for herself and she will continue making a name for herself because she built it first. She wasn't begging people for opportunities. It's the other way around. She, she started doing it. And then because she was so good at it, people came after her. People started begging yeah. her. That's so awesome. that's, and you don't have to, and I think maybe Phil, we might even do a whole, I may save some of this information for our next webinar. I want to talk. Yeah, I am going to say, but I have more thoughts to this, which I'll put in our next free webinar. Excellent. Right. Yeah. Can't wait. Oh, by the way, Michael puts like, a month worth of effort into writing every book. Yeah. Hour. I see the revisions and I'm always like, Michael, I need this so I can make the workbook. Michael, I need this. <laughs> and oh, okay. he's still, he's still editing. So, uh, Hayden Sears earlier, you said to bring more to the table, uh, of an agency than a script. What else should I bring to the table? You could like, you could do what I just said with Sarah Cooper. She brought a huge following. She brought, uh, you could bring talent. You could bring a, a uh, a movie that you launched at uh, finance that you that you did yourself at, at Sundance that got uh, accolades and now you're this hot new director or writer or whatever you that's bringing more to the table than saying hey pick me you're doing it already you're mm -hmm. already doing it you're proving that you know how to do it uh you know and it, people don't people don't do it because it's work okay. or but i have to in or they think it's too expensive but i have to say it's not the money that's holding you back the money you can raise ten thousand dollars or fifteen thousand dollars, which is not you know I know it's it's not nothing, but it's not we're not talking about a million dollars. We're talking about ten thousand. You can raise it on a Kickstarter. You can raise it uh, on a bake sale, and you can shoot the damn thing on your phone, and you can edit it on your phone. You just need good sound. That's what I recommend. But you don't need great locations. You can shoot the thing 
one I always mention this, Phil, is the the whale, the movie, the the whale, yeah. which is based, which is you know based on a, a play. That was shot in an apartment. So don't tell me you need to have great locations to make something amazing. It was shot in a dumpy apartment. Uh, and and one of the most, it was a beautiful story. Beautiful. It was all because the writing. The writing was excellent. And because the writing was excellent, it was able to attract great actors. And the and the, and the acting rose to the writing. I mean, you know, if the writing was no good, the, who cares what the acting is? Yep. So uh, Cynthia always said that in her classes with Jilly, like your yeah. interacting classes. It's, the writers put it on the page. Everything yeah. an actor needs to know is on the page. Yeah. And that's where the performance comes from. Yeah. If it's a good script, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. The Cinemagician, with the strike going on from both the writers and the actors now, it feels like it wouldn't be fair trying to come get work this moment. How can I try to try for work and support the union? You shouldn't. You should not try to work. I mean, that's the end. You don't go on any guild pro SAG projects or, or guild projects, but you can do, if it's a non-SAG project, like a student film or something, you can do that. You're not violating anything. You're not, you know, you're not getting paid. Uh, so... Build your network. Build your network, exactly. And, or make your own stuff. Like if you write you write your own, you know, mini scene or movie or whatever and you shoot it on your phone, you're not breaking any strikes. You're not, you know, you're not selling it. You're just shooting it. Yep. Awesome. Love Leanne, who is a member of your course. Um, how should we speak to writers and other filmmakers at the on the picket lines? I've seen others not doing it very well and I'm kind of afraid to speak. Oh, well, that's hard. I mean, all you got to do is don't act like you want to, you want something from them. Just act like you want to learn from them. Hey, tell me about your story. What, tell me, how did you start? How did you break in? What kind of shows do you like to write? What inspires you? Pretend like they're a guest on your radio show or your podcast. Interview them. Just, you know, but you know, we don't want anything from them. You're just curious to get their, their story. Yeah. And, and say, people will talk. Yeah. yeah, they definitely will. And when I've gone out and done picketing, um, it's really interesting. It's just, I don't, I don't talk to people. I'm just, how, who are you? Tell me about you. What are you doing here? Why are you here? What are you doing out on the picket line? Cool. Yeah. Are you in the industry? Breaking in the industry? Oh, great. Oh, cool. You worked on that show. I love that show. Yeah. Awesome. And then they ask you questions too because you're walking in circles for hours. Yeah. And you're a human being and they're going to make conversation. They, the conversation will eventually turn around to you and then you can talk about yourself. Ha, have you noticed the people who put up their like YouTube channel and stuff uh, on flyers on the poles and stuff in the corners? No, I have not seen that. What I have. Promoting their own channel? It feels a little um, skeezy to me, personally. The, I'm not the problem person. is no one's gonna, no one's looking at them anyway. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you haven't noticed. And when I see them, I'm just like, oh, man, that's that's not – I don't know that's the way to do that because you're basically saying, look at me, look at me, instead of being there walking on the picket lines, talking to people and putting in effort to, to fight for the yeah. same things they're fighting for. Yeah, you don't have to promote yourself. All right. Uh, Norville Scoobs. Uh, does the strike lead to an increasing demand for scripts? Well, when the strike is over, there will be everyone will flood the market with their scripts, and that's just you know this is the way it is. So, yeah, D demand but also supply because all of these yeah. writers are have time to write. Yeah, right. Antonia Roman, hey Michael, met you yesterday on the picket. I appreciate oh. your insight. Oh. How many script feedback reads should someone actually pay for? Sometimes the feedbacks contradict each other. Thanks. Oh, Phil. I know. We, where <laughs> I we go. on purpose. <laughs> yeah. You know, you how many, if you're entering, if you're paying on one of these services and maybe it's like 150 bucks for one of these services, you're going to get, who you get, who's reading the script other than it's someone 
who works at the service. They don't know more than you do. They just work there and they're making whatever, 20 bucks an hour or maybe less to read script after script. What's their qualifications? Beats the hell out of me other than the fact that they're working there. Uh, and they, you know, they're not, they're not industry insiders. They're not like, they don't have jobs in, in screenwriting. If they did, they would be doing that. So a service, I wouldn't, I'd pay nothing because that's why you're going to get con contradictory uh, feedback. What do they know? They don't know more than you. If you can find a writer with experience, and there are writers who will do this as a freelance thing, check out their credits, go on their IMDb. What have they written? Ask to see their work. What have they, you know, read their work? Do you like their work? And if you do, then yes, then your feedback could be valuable. But I wouldn't use it. I would never go through a service. Yep. Uh, we did talk about this where I sent Michael, I paid for feedback from some of these services uh, on your behalf listener to the podcast. And then I shared the emails back and forth from them, the reviews, as well as the, when I questioned the validity of the, the feedback I received from them, yeah. I sent Michael those. And I think the feedback from the service was way more infuriating than the- Yeah, it just made you mad. It made you feel like you got ripped off. Hey, it's Michael Jammin. If you like my videos and you want me to email them to you for free, join my watch list. Every Friday, I send out my top three videos. These are for writers, actors, creative types. You can unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm not gonna spam you, and it's absolutely free. Just go to michaeljammin.com slash watch list. Awesome, Ruth W. Should emerging writers approach breaking in differently than before given the strike? Are there any new approaches that should be considered? Thanks. I don't think, you know, wait for the strike to, to end before you think about breaking in. But um, the, the, the landscape has changed so much with social media that you don't need anyone's permission. I just talked about this. You don't need anyone's permission to, to write and, may, and build up your brand. I, I'm not doing it. I'm not waiting for anyone's permission. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know why anybody else would. Um, I have a good podcast guest um, this week. Well, what, I don't know when you're going to hear this. Mike Sachs. Go listen to him. See, he's an author. And, um, and he talks about that himself. Like, he has sold books to publishers, and he's also indie published, you know, published it himself. And he makes a really strong case for just doing it yourself. And he's done both. And he's an editor at Vanity Fair. So the guy knows how to write. Yeah. Yeah. Also... <sighs> Definitely don't try breaking in right now. There are very clear rules that the Writers Guild's come out and said, if you even have meetings with producers, yeah. that is an act of crossing a picket line. Like, no, I'm not talking to my agent. I'm not talking to producers. I'm not you, doing you mean They will literally forbid you from joining the guild. So any short-term win now is basically a, a, a nail in the coffin of your career yeah. later. Yeah. And, and as it should be. Yeah. So, Susan Mark... When you get the low-paying non-union screenwriting gigs over and over, how do you move from that into network shows with four question marks? The fact that you're getting these jobs to begin with are great, even if they're non-union. So good for you. How do you, I mean, this is where you, you know, if these movies are doing or shows are doing well and if they're well-received and if they're written well, and this is what you show to an agent and say, here's my body of work. And this is a, here's a movie I, I, I did that uh, it cost 10,000 to make. And the return on it was a hundred thousand. Like that's impressive. So, you know, that's how you can parlay that into, uh, into bigger opportunities. But the problem is if, if you're doing this work and the work isn't coming out good, uh, you know, it's, it still has to be good. It has to be good. And people have to, it has to be one or the other, like 
great, critically well received, or you know, uh, um, you know, makes a lot of money. It has to be a financial success. One or both. One or the other or both. Yeah. Awesome. Roxana Blacksea. How do you get over feeling guilty asking a friend or a mentor for a referral? And how do you know you're ready and not wasting their time? This is a good one. I might as well wrote this, Michael. Well, you know, if you have a friend who's in the industry, I don't know if they're in the industry or not, but you only have one chance to impress them. And if you give them something that's not great, you know, it's a big ask. Hey, sit down and read this. It's going to take them an hour and a half or whatever. You know, and if it's not great, they're not going to want to do it again. You know, they'll do a favor once, but they won't do it again. So, you know, there's that. Get over the guilt. Well, if you if if you've given them a uh, a giant gift, you shouldn't feel guilty. If it's giving them a piece of shit, well, you're going to feel guilty. So, but you just need to know what it is you're giving them. You know, <laughs> that takes a lot of introspection and a lot of uh, self analysis. I would yeah. also say it takes a lot of practice and, and study of existing high quality works to compare yourself. Yeah, and high quality. That's the thing, Phil. If you're watching some crappy TV show and you go, well. I can write a crappy TV show. That's not the bar, you know. Crap plus one. That's been yeah. around for since the AOL days. Crap plus one is I can do one better than that. It's not good enough. Yeah, not good enough. Yep. All right, Ruth W. Again, if you know an established writer is working on a new project that you have happened to have particular rare knowledge on, is it appropriate to contact that writer, even to work for free? And then there's a follow-up to this. Well... Uh, if they're on a show and you have particular knowledge, then they're not going to let you work for free. You can't work for free, but you can share your knowledge. And and uh, I, I don't know. It's always you can share your knowledge, but no one's going to you're not allowed to work for free. So I don't know what they're if they're going to offer you a job or not. But yeah. is it OK to reach out to them? Why not? What's Why the harm? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think the, the benefit of that is you're going in to say, hey, I saw you're doing this. I happen to be a subject matter expert on that. Mm-hmm. Anything you want to ask me, I'm happy to go over with you and provide yeah. any insights you want. You are now serving that person. You're not mm-hmm. coming to say, give me a job, give me a job. Right. And you might hop on a Zoom with them and have an intro. Now you've got a, a foot in the door to have an extended conversation as someone and you've provided value to that person. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And you're right. You're not asking for anything in return. But people tend to give things back when people give first. And the follow-up question, is it okay to contact an agent to get the contact information for that writer that you would like to help for free? Oh. Oh, so you don't know this person. Yeah. Uh, you can. The agent's not going to do anything with it. I, I don't. I, I would doubt they're going to do anything with it. Uh, you could reach out to them on like LinkedIn maybe. You could this tweet might at be, This might be a good at, time to slide into the DMs, right? And, and Because you're not asking, you're providing value. Yeah, yeah. And expect can, them not to reply. Right. Expect them not to reply. Uh, and it's because, you know, maybe they get too many solicitations or maybe it's just they find it weird. It's worth a shot. It also might just be that they don't have time to look at their social media, which is very yeah. real. Yeah. Don't read into it. Just shoot your shot. Move on. You know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Don't don't wait. Don't hold your breath. Shoot your shot and keep shooting your, sh- your shot. Keep working on, you know, yourself. Yeah. Ginobri, is there anything we need to be wary of when approaching smaller agencies with our scripts so we don't get screwed? Well, the agencies, first of all, don't approach any agency that's going to charge you for to represent you. That's no agents. Legit agents work on commission. Now, the big ones are not going to represent you. You've got to look at you have to reach out to smaller ones, uh, you know, who are soliciting clients. I wouldn't expect an agent to 
I wouldn't expect them to rip you off. That's not what they do. They're, they're going to represent you and try to sell you. The, the agents are not producers. They're not screenwriters. So uh, to me, it's safe. But again, I don't, I don't give legal advice if you have to do what's comfortable for you. Personally, I don't worry about that. That's not something I worry about. And you started in a smaller agency that some could say screwed you, but I don't know that you see it that way, right? Because you got hip pocketed basically as a baby writer. Yeah, but they didn't, they didn't screw me. They just didn't That's do anything. They, they didn't screw you, but some people might say they screwed you because they didn't do anything. Oh, yeah, but they didn't steal anything from me. They just they, they just didn't help my career any. Yeah, so. and we talked about that in the, some of the early, early podcasts, if you want to go back and listen to those. I think it was the yeah. Agents and Manager episode. is like episode five or something. So, right. 95 something episodes ago. Screw yeah, it. I don't, you remember this stuff. Shem L, do you think New York and LA are still the places to make it? I, no, I think LA is the place to make it. Take New York off the list. Like, where is Hollywood? This is a trivia question. Point it out, find it on the map. I, it, hint, it's in, it's in Los Angeles. I understand that some television production or film production is done in New York. Some, where's the writing done? The writing's done in LA. Same thing with Georgia or New Mexico. Sometimes they shoot things there for tax breaks, but the writing is almost always done in, in LA. And even if some writing is done in these smaller cities, Okay, fine. Maybe you can, maybe you'll get incredibly lucky, but you're not going to be able to sustain a career there. The career is here. So that's how I go. feel. All right. And Jill Hargrave, I'm a senior writer, 76 years old, transitioning from decades as a documentary producer to screenwriter. I have an agent and I'm in the news division with the WGA East. Any advice on how to get read by execs? I'm looking for so she's a news she's a news writer. She, she sounds like she's a writer in the news division for the okay. WGA East. Right. She has decades of experience being a producer in documentary film. She oh, has okay. an agent. She's advice on how to get executives to read your stuff. Sorry, yeah. So you're in the same boat as everyone else. I don't think you're a, you got a leg up. You're probably you sound like you're a very competent news producer, but you know you might as well be an orthodontist. It's a different yeah. kind of writing. But she has an agent. Ask, ask your agent. I suspect your agent's not going to give a crap. Your agent is able to get you news jobs. That's what, there's, that's what you are, and that's what you bring value to them. But they, they're not interested in you starting your career over from zero. My friend Rob Cohen talked about this in one of our podcasts. He was a very successful sitcom writer, wrote on a bunch of shows, including The Simpsons, including Just Shoot Me, where I was on. And maybe 20 or so years into his career as a TV writer, very successful TV writer. He, I ran into him and he's like, I want to be a, a, a director now. I want to direct TV and film. I said, well, how are you going to do that? He goes, I don't know, but I'm going to make it happen. I said, well, is your agent helping you at all? No, the agent's not going to help me one bit, even though he's a successful TV writer, because it's a different thing. It's a directing. They don't want to sell him as that. They can sell him as a TV writer, but not as a director. So unfortunately, you're going to have to start over. You milk whatever context you have, Maybe your agent can set you up with a referral with another agent at their, at their uh, agency that they should be able to do. But at the end of the day, you unfortunately have to make your career. They're not going to make your career for you. No. If they have an agent because they have some screenplay sample that they've submitted, my guess would be that that's when your agent would show those when we're not on a strike. They take your samples and try to sell those things to people to get you staffed. And they're going to do that job for you. But it sounds like if through the question that you're right, Michael, it's not a writing agent in this space. It's yeah. a documentary or a news set. Yeah. But talk to them. Maybe get some tips. I mean, 
again, I've tried to do the same thing myself. My agents, I have big agents and managers. They don't give a crap unless they, unless I can make money for them today in my field. They don't really care. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Uh, Ruth W. This is miscellaneous. We've got three, three more questions here. Yeah. Is there, excuse me, four. Is there any value in getting an entertainment lawyer? Does this confer any legitimacy when trying to get people to read your script or is it just a waste of money? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, there's some follow-up to this. We'll get to that. So no, an entertainment attorney is the be- is like the best money I spend. My attorney takes 5% of all the deals that I make and they, uh, they help negotiate these deals. Money well spent. But I don't, uh, it's only when I'm negotiating a deal. They, you know, that's when they get paid. They get a commission. I would never pay an entertainment attorney up front. I don't, it doesn't help you make a deal. It doesn't help you look more important. You're just going to pay them a lot of money out of pocket for no reason. Attorneys are there to help you negotiate the deal and read the fine print so you don't get screwed. That's what they help you do. But you don't pay one up front for any, as far as I know, I would never pay one up front. I've had two in my Mm -hmm. career. And the first one didn't do a lot. This one, uh, you know, and we worked with him on some stuff today. Actually, you and I were going over some trademark stuff with him. But anyway, he um, he's great. And he comes at it from the perspective of that, which is my job is to protect you and I can be the bad guy. I can go fight mm-hmm. the fight for you to get you what you want. And you can say, hey, man, that's just what my, my lawyer right. does. You're going to have to take that up with my attorney. And we talked in the podcast about this recent experience I had where he wrote this contract and the guy signed it. Uh, and he ended up protecting my butt because he put a clause in that said nothing was executable until it was paid. Money was delivered. And so because this guy never exchanged money, he only talked about exchanging money. I'm not obligated to do anything for this guy. Yeah. And had I walked into that, I probably would have just signed something and not had the foresight to have that. He also had it you know, paid in steps. So above and beyond the WJ minimums, he structured it so I'd get paid more money up front because right. he's like, you want money in your pocket. And he deals with Sony and major country musicians. He's a, he's a real, real proper entertainment attorney. Incredibly valuable. Yeah. And, and it looks like you answered, honestly, the, the question, like, what's the difference between an agent who's going to get 10%? What's a lawyer do? What's the difference? Uh, yeah. And the answer is the agent basically books the deal. The attorney gets you the most money they can out of that deal. Yeah. And the agent's not going to read the contract. They don't read contract. They're not lawyers. Yeah. They, don't, they don't deal with that. So... You, you 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 need an, an attorney. Yeah. Love it. Uh, Goddard Finn, any insight on getting a preliminary budget done by someone or a company like Mike Binder's budget company? I'm assuming this is for an indie project. I never heard of that, and I wouldn't or, know. Or it's a pre- preliminary budget on a script. Uh, I thought he was an actor, act? Michael Binder. I thought he was an actor. I, I don't even know. I've never, I've never, I've never even heard of this, so I, I can't even answer. Yeah. My, my feeling is, from what I understand from this question, is there's zero value added to your script when you go to pitch your story by telling them, this is the budget I got for this oh, no, from no. somebody. No, they'll tell they'll you the budget. That. That's their, that. <laughs> if that's what that is, it's interesting. Yeah, I thought maybe this is for indies. No, when you pitch, when you sit, saw the movie, they'll tell you what the budget is. That, they, it's their money. You don't tell them what the budget is. They tell you. Yeah, and the answer is in an indie film, if it is that, is you're going to scrounge for every dollar you can get, and then you're going to make what you can with the budget you got. And that's mm-hmm. what a line producer does for you. And right. they basically manage the contracts and make sure your people get paid and you don't go over budget and you can finish your project. And yep. they'll tell you, hey, you can't do that. You don't have the money to do that. Right. Cool. Um, Ruth W. with another. One of the reasons I am uh, reticent to film my own stuff is because I don't have any money to pay actors. Is it okay to ask them to work for free? Yeah, you can. Uh, often actors will do this just to have tape to have, you know, so that they can submit themselves. But um, 
the the work has to be good. You're not going to the better the script is, the the easier it is to attract writer uh, actors and better actors. And if it's a great script, they'll, they'll fall over themselves for to do this. So you can act. You ask them to do it for free. Uh, you you definitely want to. You don't want to abuse them. You want to make sure, you know, buy them pizza, buy them lunch, make sure there's water on set, you know, take care of them. Uh, that's the least you can do. Yeah. Um, yeah. And people will absolutely do that. There's also, if you're a student, you can also look into SAG student, SAG after student agreements, uh-huh. um, which probably you might even still be able to do that during the strike because it's not really like a paid project, but they have agreements that you can work with SAG qualified actors and you have to abide by those terms if they are a SAG actor. But you can mm-hmm. get them in your projects. I did it in film school. Right. Okay. Last question. As a showrunner, do you direct episodes too or just focus on running the show? As a showrunner, I have, but I'm not. And in, in animation, I direct the actors for sure. I didn't get the performances out of them. But in live action, I've only directed one. That's not my job. But my job is to be on set and to make sure I'm getting... I'm getting the, the the shots that I want and to get the performances that I want. Ultimately, in film, I'm sorry, in TV, the the director works for the showrunner. So on TV, the showrunner's in charge. In film, the other way around, it's the 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 director's in charge. The writer is nothing. So, um, I, does that answer your question? I think it does. Yeah, I think it's just okay. for you specifically. What do you do? Okay. But I do know showrunners who do direct on Tacoma FD. Yeah, Kevin some Steve, do. Steve, they split them up and they they shoot, they direct certain episodes. Uh, they also, you know, some those guys are wallet. tireless. Yeah, tireless. I don't know how they do. I don't. I I toured with them for a press tour and I was exhausted mm. and they were just still going and happy to go. And yeah, you know, I get emails from them at two or three in the morning and they're just oh, going. God. Yeah, oh, they're just. God. But they're that's how they made their career. I mean, this just yeah. ties it all together, Michael. Yeah, make it happen. Put in yeah. the effort. Those guys made their own things happen. They have shows. Yeah. You know their names, and they you know them because they put in the work. Had yeah. they not done that, they wouldn't be anywhere. Yeah. Cool, Michael. Anything else you want to add? That's it. Uh, we did it, Phil. Yeah, we did it. So, so uh, things people need to know, Michael. You got tons of free stuff. You talked about free samples of work Ooh. or writing. Yeah, I you do, do free work too. I do yeah. free work here. I do. <laughs> We got a lot of free stuff we give away on my website. If you go to michaeljammon.com, you can get sample scripts that I've written. You can get a free lesson that I've planned about story. You can get uh, sign up for my free webinars, which are every three weeks, which Phil helps me out with. Um, you can come see me tour on my one of my book drops, a paper orchestra. You can sign up for all of that and much, much more. Yeah. And, and also um, the course. We have a course, but that you got to pay for. But you know what? It's worth every penny. Yeah, that's right. And again, get a discount when you come to the webinar. Nice, nice discount. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> and you could win a free, free access. Oh, you could win it. Yeah, you can win yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome, Michael. Thank you so much. Um, oh, and my newsletter, Phil. You can get on my free newsletter. I got always that. Always forget that. We always yeah. forget that. That that list is thirty thousand deep or something like that right now. That's a good Tons list. Tons of people getting that list, getting that. Yeah. Uh, and industry like double industry open rates. People really like that list. That that content. Yeah, the uh, yeah, the people like that. So sign up for my list. Be like be like the masses. Turn it be sheep, people. Join yeah. us. Okay, everyone. Thank you so much. Until next week, keep writing. Right, Phil? Phil, Phil right. made that up. That is right. W-R-I-T-E. Right. Okay. All right. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Yeah. 
This has been an episode of Screenwriters Need to Hear This with Michael Jamin and Phil Hudson. If you're interested in learning more about writing, make sure you register for Michael's monthly webinar at michaeljammin.com slash webinar. If you found this podcast helpful, consider sharing it with a friend and leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. For free screenwriting tips, follow Michael Jammin on social media at Michael Jammin Writer. You can follow Phil Hudson on social media at Phil A. Hudson. This podcast was produced by Phil Hudson. It was edited by Dallas Crane. Music by Ken Joseph. Until next time, keep writing.